Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Welcome to The Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Steve Murray, founder of Real Trends Consulting and a senior advisor to Housing Wire, offers insight and analysis on three trending real estate issues. Steve's 30 plus years in the industry allows him to give you a deeper understanding of today's real estate business happenings. Hi, this is Steve Murray with Real Trends. I want to cover three topics today. One, this market is roaring, but what could cause it to slow down or change directions? Second, the Biden administration has proposed to offer twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar cash grants to first-generation home buyers. We have some thoughts about that. And third, one of the interesting findings from this year's Real Trends 500 is the rise of low-cost brokers. So let's jump in. For years, we have been measuring one key statistic about housing sales, both new and existing housing sales. And it's a, it's a barometer that we look at consistently to determine is the market balanced? Is it stone cold or is it raging hot? So here's some information to think about. The best barometer of where we are with the housing market we have found over 40 years of data is the percentage of all households, both owner and renter households, that bought a home in a given year. We have 40 years of data on this. For example, we look at the 40-year average of the percent of households that bought a home in a given year, and the 40-year average is 4.8%. So 4.8% of all households, both renter and owner-occupants, bought a home on average each year going back to 1980, over 40 years ago. Some other pieces of data, the 10-year average, 2010 to 2020, is only 4.49. So the last 10 years are actually below the 40-year average. However, when we look at 2020, it's just at 5%. Not a big jump over the 40-year average. It's 4.8, remember, is the 40-year average. 5% is what happened in 2020. So, okay, it would seem that housing sales are pretty normal, pretty close to the average of 40 years. To put this all in perspective, from 2002 to 2006, the percentage was 6.7. Clearly, that was way, way above the 40-year average and should have alerted 
all of the major housing organizations that that thing, that market at that time was way out of balance. What would it take to put us out of balance again on the high side? Well, if you look at the sales rate in the fourth quarter of 2020, roughly October, November, December, we were running at 6.4 to 6.5 million existing homes and 800,000 new homes, and that puts us more closer to the 6% ratio. So while 2020 was pretty close to the 40-year average, the fourth quarter was not. It was way above the 40-year average. So it was flashing warning signs. Sales in the first quarter are still running well above the 40-year average. So all of us should take note that this particular market is running stronger, far stronger, over the last few months, six months to be exact, than that 40-year average. So there's a little red light starting to flash about the sustainability of this market. Now, people will say, well, demographics, there's far more demand than there is supply, and that's totally true. In fact, the Wall Street Journal article last week pointed out that the deficit of new home construction versus new household formation is something over 4 million. That is, 4 million net new households more were produced in the last 10 years than housing construction. So clearly, we have a supply problem, not a demand problem. But still, we're running into a flashing red light at the current levels of sales. What is likely to impact the market being able to continue? Well, it's likely going to be the prices of homes, which are soaring in markets throughout the country. I mean, we can talk about low inventory, but the truth is low inventory, which was the case January 1 of this year, hasn't slowed anything down. We're getting anecdotal reports from brokers all over the country of a record first quarter, well above last year's first quarter, apparently without any inventory. Except what we're hearing anecdotally is that brokers are telling us that a lot of inventory is never getting to MLS. It's, been, it's sold before it even gets there between agents of one brokerage company or just agents in multiple companies that talk to each other. We don't have any actual data on that right now, and we're looking for it. But it explains the fact that if it never got to MLS, then the MLS inventory is not correct. That number is not correct because so much is coming on that is immediately being liquidated. It's, it's sold so fast, it never gets to the MLS as, quote, an act of listing. It goes straight to the MLS as under contract. Prices are soaring. Sooner or later, that's going to impact affordability, and it's going to impact buyer psychology as to just how much they're going to be willing to stretch over list prices to buy a home. We need to watch these red lights flashing when this market outruns the ability of buyers to afford these homes. Which leads us to our second topic, 
which is the Biden administration has proposed twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar grants to first-generation home buyers. I actually took the time to read the whole House bill that was proposed about a week or ten days ago. Uh, somebody asked me for a comment about it uh, last week, a writer for one of the industry publications, and my thinking is that's like approaching a forest fire and offering gasoline. We don't need more demand, we need more supply. So among other things, if I were in the policy-making business in Washington, D.C., I rather would take the funds, and maybe more funds than they're talking about allocating, and I would allocate it to developers and builders to help subsidize affordable housing in communities across the country, and you can specify who's eligible to buy these subsidized lower-cost housing units. I mean, with impact fees, cost of lumber, cost of land, cost of labor soaring also, it would seem that the federal government should subsidize supply, not demand. We don't need more demand right now. We need more supply of lower-cost, affordable housing for people to buy, a first, and particularly first-generation or first-time homebuyers. The, the bill out of the House would put restrictions also on the people who were able to buy these homes as to any subsidy they received, they would have to give large percentages of that back if they sold within the first year or two or three, they would have to repay the subsidy. I'm sure there's a way to build those kind of provisions in to these now affordable housing supply. But the answer is more supply, not to stoke more demand, at least at this time in the housing market. We think the efforts to help first-time home buyers and first-generation home buyers is admirable. Who wouldn't want to help these people try to get into homes? But let's also remember one other thing. Back in 2003, 4, 5, and 6, the federal government's position had been, well, if home ownership is good, then more home ownership must be even better. That led to a disaster in the housing market and, of course, that spread to the general economy. And we all know how that ended up helping people buy homes when they couldn't actually afford to maintain them and providing funny money mortgages to help them think that they were going to get into the speculative game of buying homes and be able to resell them quickly at a higher price. It's a fool's errand over any period of time going forward. So coming back to my point, the federal government and or state governments can subsidize supply and find ways to do that and restrict it to first-time or first-generation home buyers and have a far more profound impact for those people without undoing or loosening the underwriting regulations that seem to be holding tightly in place today. The last topic is looking at more data from the Real Trends 500, which we released just about a month ago. It's interesting to note when you look at the composition of the top firms in the country, we notice that four of the top 10 and eight of the top 20 
and also some of the fastest growing firms are what would be considered low-cost brokerages. People like EXP, Fathom, United Real Estate, and others like them are not only eight of the top 20 brokers in the country now, but they're also among the fastest growing companies uh, in the industry right now. We have suggested for years that it's not always and only about money in the relationship between a broker and an agent. There's a whole mix of factors that causes a broker to want to recruit an agent or an agent to choose to go with a brokerage company. But these newly aggressive, well-capitalized, lower-cost brokerage companies, and there are others, United, United Real Estate we mentioned and Fathom, but there's also HomeSmart and Realty One Group, there is a huge audience among 1.5 million realtors in the country for a lower cost option, both from high productive agents who think they've got their business built and they want the lowest cost option, as well as lower producers who just want a place to hang their license and a low cost way to do that may be with one of these companies. We think that this is further segmentation of the agent population if you look at agents as your client and your customer, it's simply put, we have agents who are going to not be bothered by paying more to a brokerage for more services and greater value. And you're going to have those agents who say, I don't need all the tools and services of the full service brokerage companies. I just need some place for a broker to cover my legal and regulatory requirements and enable me to occasionally transact business. This also goes back to the 2014 book we published called Game Changers. One of the chapters in there, we talked about the growing difference between facilitators and counselors. We said at that time, the market will evolve to where those two groups will be very distinct from each other. So what we're seeing now is among brokerage companies, that very thing evolving. High tech, high marketing, high touch, high value brokerage companies are counselors. They build strong relationships with their agents and their management teams, and they provide a lot of support services. You have others who are facilitators, helping agents just transact their business without necessarily being full service, high-tech, high-touch. That's not to say that low-cost brokers don't have technology. Virtually every brokerage, national, regional, and local of any size, obviously has access to a lot of technology. Our view is it's not yet a differentiating factor, at least not yet. So interesting, we'll keep a close watch on this evolution of low-cost brokers as now, as we said, four of the top 10 and eight of the top 20, and some of the fastest growing firms in our country are low-cost options. This has been Steve Murray for Real Trends. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.